0: Good morning, everyone. Last night we spoke at some length about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Raya Ramananda. Usually in the mornings on these uh, visits, I just ask the devotees for any questions. So if you've been listening, if you've been reading, if you've been interested in Krishna consciousness, then you should have some questions. And if you don't, be careful, I might ask you questions. So any comment any question yes
1: well, I would like to ask about child abuse specifically like sexual child abuse because from my understanding it's like the party line to say that it was the child's karma and uh, to me that seems like it really lets the the <coughs> are off the hook
0: well I've got nothing to do with that and um, I think that people who say that don't have a very good understanding of karma It's kind of like a predestined idea of karma where everything is set and um, there's no will involved. We have sown seeds and we have results to reap. And the fruits that are reaped in this life, we call that prarabdha, prarabdha karma. Then there's karma that is in a seed form that hasn't yet manifest, like desire, and there's karma that is about to form seed, <laughs> and there's this stockpile of opera unmanifest karma, that's, that's uh, waiting to get its satisfaction, its payback, so to speak. So, big topic, karma. And then there are other terms by which it's described too, but these are the terms that are popular for describing karma and Gaudiya Rasthamism, because they're the ones cited by Rupa Goswami and Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, where he cites Padma Purana, speaking of the Purabdha, from Purabdha to Purabdha and so forth. But in the yogic world, there are a lot of different terms for describing different stages of karma, but overall, the idea is that while there are acts which we have performed that are bearing fruit at the present it's not I want to say we're not like robots we have to do everything because of something we've done in the past or every movement isn't based on it but there's some freedom to make choices and so forth and to react and to respond and and so on so it's a complex topic and that's a very simplistic way of talking about it or trying to write off inappropriate behavior I wouldn't imagine that that would go very far in terms of satisfying to people. It would dissatisfy a lot of people, as it has you. So, Of course, the party line you're talking about is some other group that I'm not a member of, and I don't know what their party line is, but I don't think it's that, necessarily. But I have heard that kind of thing said, and it's a very incomplete explanation. You have different people involved, right? In other words, things are happening to us in this life and we have a chance to respond to them and there may be the karma of other people their is perhaps something involved with the desire for such the adult making the abuse and the child and maybe in a circumstance that has to react to that deal with it but it's not their fault which is kind of the way you're saying that sometimes people portray well it's the children's fault they did it and they did something in the past so it's their fault they're being abused or any kind of abuse for that matter that as you say it takes away the sense of responsibility that everyone should have for their actions in this life so we have karma it's kind of like a blueprint and then we fill in the details in this life by responding to reactions that are coming to us so there's a will involved so will involved in the part of the children in the example you are using all kinds of abuse, and one could use this idea in the same way, and then there's freedom and will on the part of the adult. So it's a complex affair. That's a very inappropriate way to describe it. It's not entirely necessarily untrue. Everybody's being moved by their karma, but just to lay the blame on one side isn't uh, the whole picture. That matter they may be blameless. They may be victims. It's possible in this life. Of course, the good news about karma and our karma predicament in bhakti school is that it has the power to eradicate karma, even the prarabdha karma, the manifest karma. Indeed, it's mentioned, yadhanamadeha Kirtanat, this famous verse from Bhagwat, that simply by chanting the holy name, one immediately becomes, even though one may be born in the family of a dog-eater, which means the canines, they eat meat. so. If you eat a meat eater, (laughs) it's not a good thing. To eat meat's not good, but if you eat a meat eater, then this is just a way of talking about it. This is not good. So, such a person who has that kind of prarabdha, that if they chant the holy name, they immediately become qualified to perform Vedic rituals, soma, yajna, and such, which means that they wouldn't be qualified by their prarabdha and by their actions and so forth because this is the activity, the duty of the Brahman, but they become qualified, which means their parabdhas says immediately. Now, it doesn't mean that all of your parabdhas are immediately destroyed, but Nam, Krishna Nam in particular, has the power to arrest the parabdha immediately to that extent and to retire it entirely in due course. And our charges that have said different things about it. How the parabdas eradicated first and then the you know, parabdha the unmanifest and vice versa it's a little bit of both based on this verse of Bhagavad, immediately there's some relief freedom from the manifest karma to some extent enable one to participate in activities that he or she otherwise might not then the unmanifest karma is is being destroyed and gradually the determination of all of Prabhda comes about due course by Nama and a good example of this of course is Thakur, because he was named by Chaitanya Mahapur in Namacharya, by whom we will learn, through example, about chanting. And he was uh, born in an outcast family, and socially speaking, and so forth. And in the end of his life, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took his body and danced with it on the shore of the ocean in Jagannath Puri. Then he dug with his own hands in the sand, The hole in which this body will be placed. He said, whoever comes here worships this place and so forth, they will become purified. So what he's saying there is that the body, the sadhakadeya, the practitioner's body of Haridastakur was pure. This is the power of bhakti. In jnana, this is impossible. In jnana you can become jivanmukta, realized soul within this body, but you have to wait and witness the playing out of the Prabhupada. There's no way to overcome the parabda, other than letting it play itself out. It's already manifest. It's too far gone. So this underscores then the power of bhakti, that it can arrest the parabda karma, and some of it immediately, especially by hari nam, harinam, such as the power of the sadhana, the practice given by Chaitanya Mahaviru. And again, this is the example he sets, carrying the body of Haridas telling that the place where his body is entombed is worshipable and devotees go there still to this day and they chant and so forth. And so it's speaking to us in a compelling way about the power of what we're involved in. Even this sadaka deha becomes worshipable. Mahaprabhu said, actually, told Sanatana Goswami, at the time of initiation, you no longer have a material body you get a spiritual body as much as in the context of initiation what you're supposed to be doing on your part is atma samarpan, surrendering yourself. The implication is the extent that we do that, initiation may take some time to fully manifest. It's under the what we say that, like the jurisdiction of sambandha So sambandha is complete, realized, higher stages of sadhana, ruchi, asakti, bhakti Someone again is a conceptual orientation so however we're conceptually orientated that's going to foster a certain type of action and so this conceptual orientation of Gaudiya Vaishnavism fosters the action of Bhakti and when our action of Bhakti is fully informed by Samanda I don't mean to say that is it's realized then the kind of Bhakti the kind of action that you can perform is fully informed Bhakti if you will this is Bhava Bhakti, and this will be an extremely powerful form of Bhakti that will take you to Prem. Rupa Goswami himself says on a theoretical level, what? That there are different qualifications for treading the path of Bhakti, all of which are levels or degrees of faith. There's simple faith, there's partially informed faith, and that means theoretically by scripture, and there's fully informed faith, faith that is fully informed by scripture and the logic that supports its premise. So who has full faith, informed faith, is better suited than to tread the path of bhakti. He is or she is an utum is a uttum adhikari, his or her eligibility is of the highest degree. Here in this way I'm speaking about this not in terms of realization, but in terms of eligibility to tread the path, actually. That's why people chant and they don't sometimes make any progress because they did not uh, have much sambanda-gyan. That's why Prabhupada, for example, was in his mission and his time was showering us with so much uh, transcendental literature. We were getting a big book, 400 pages every month, a lot of sambanda-gyan that was then fueling the practice and uh, informing the action of the Abhidaya. The, uh, the means, the one's bhakti. We need to be in a constant stream, so to speak, of that. This is the value of good association, and in a progressive way, taking us more and more, so that we understand what we're doing. If you understand what you're doing, you're going to get more out of it than if you, if you don't understand what you're doing, and you're doing it, you're going to get something out of it. But this is the idea. So, when that again becomes fully manifest not, not only theoretical knowledge, but realized some, again, means gyan, sambanda means relationship. So it means when one, one knows who I am in relation to loving Krishna, then his bhakti or her bhakti is fully informed. So the bhakti is about cultivating that bhava, which is a ray of prema and turning that ray into the sun of prema. And that type of activity, we're talking about bhava-bhakti, that is beyond then the parabdha, beyond karma. There's something to do beyond. This is, a, of course, also unique to the bhakti school and particularly to this uh, Gaudiya school of bhakti. Something to be done. Whereas uh, in Ganmarga, uh, in Anartha there, that's about it getting rid of the negative. But artha property, nothing for that. What is attainable? What artha, what actually has value? Having given up the false values, mm-hmm. nadanam nājanam na nāsundurim na kavitam ba Mahāprabhu is taking up positive values. mamā mm-hmm. janmanī janmanīśvārī bhābhukat bhakti rāhi tukīto nanda tanuja, kinkāraṁ patitamāṁ visamī bhavāṁ buddho, and so on. At any anyway, rate, relative to the topic about karma, this bhakti... It's a small thing on the part of bhakti. It's like a, a side effect of bhakti, that it relieves one even of one's prarabdha in this life. So if we study it like this, this is, of course, based on scripture, and we think, oh, we can understand, we can be more fortified in our adherence to our conviction, our pursuance of the path, that it has such value. But when we hear things like, oh, well, that's their karma, they're bad people, and whoever did something abused another person, is off the hook, kind of. That's not uh, inspiring, right, to pursue the path. We should talk about the karma in this way more. That will be useful. The intricacies of karma, who did what, when, where, and why, and this hard to sort out. Practically, this is impossible. Everybody has some responsibility for their situation. Everyone's making choices at every moment. So we don't want to fully exonerate anyone in any circumstance. Everyone's, we're all here. We're all takers. So the environment is taking back from us. That's material existence. It's not a pretty place. There's abusers and the abused, and that's all there is. The abused are also abusers. That's a fact. We don't really paint a very pretty picture of material life and sometimes it's worth stepping back and looking at the naked form of material desire and how unbecoming it is we tend to dress it up and make it look better than what it is but if we go to the naked form of material desire we find it's very unbecoming material life is an embarrassment for the soul and again abusers and abused and that's what we all are So it's important sometimes to stress that, to think like that, but to apply that inordinately in such a way as as you've described is a very um, incomplete and kind of shallow analysis of how the principle of karma works. Basically, karma works such that God's not even really involved. We're plugged into material nature, which is a Shakti of the Paramatma, and it reacts in a particular way. For a certain button, you get a certain reaction. It's like I said in the Bible, eye for eye and a tooth for a tooth or something like that. It's the principle of justice, karma. It's the principle of justice. And um, there has to be justice in order for there to be mercy because mercy is overriding of justice. So Bhagwan honors the principle of justice, but for the most part, he's not involved in that. He's involved in mercy. That's what he's involved in. Coming within the realm of karma and intervening in such a way that the and this is what Diksha is about too the karmic bond that we have which more or less brings us to a position where we have no life of our own I've given an example before that if you in a credit card credit economy if you max out your credit cards and you may find yourself with a bunch of junk that doesn't work anymore that you're still paying for and you have to work such that your whole paycheck is going to pay for things you've already spent on that you're not even getting any more pleasure out of or you have to sell them for less than what you bought them for and so you have no life of your own you have no fun money that's after all the life, right? fun money the um, disposable income something like that so no disposable income <laughs> you have no life you're just working for paying the debts for a life that's already passed things you bought are already gone <laughs> And you're still arrested by that, arrested by the past in the present. So this is kind of the karmic situation. Life means life of the soul. soul has no life in this type of karmic maxed-out credit situation that we find ourselves in. So there's intervention, just like you might get intervention from the court and get the creditors to back up bankruptcy or something like that. And so they back up and you get a little room to breathe and you have a little bit of a life of your own, and they're on hold, or they're being paid down partially, instead of taking your whole paycheck every month. And basically, the, the court is intervening. So, dikshas like that, Krishna intervenes through Guru Parampara. And all the creditors back off, because everyone's indebted to Krishna. Therefore, by surrendering to Krishna, you owe no debts to anyone, is the idea. That, uh, what is that verse? famous verse, Nakinkaram, Nayam, charajam. Anyway, it mentions all the debts, like he, the debt to the forefathers, to the parents, to the gods, to the rishis, and so forth. And They're all paid who take shelter of Mukunda. So this is the means for taking shelter of Mukunda. Sakshat Vrajandanandana. Guru comes before us in this way. So by taking shelter there, as I say, it's not that your karma is gone immediately, but some is removed. So you have some life. The soul starts to come out. There's some scope for participating in what life is really about. Life of the soul. Bhakti. And then by the force of that bhakti, then gradually this karmic debt is absolved. What it is and the details of that and so forth, is, it's anadi. <laughs> this is the only word it's given. It's anadi. Anadi means the debt has no beginning. So how big is it? If you have a debt that has no beginning. I it mean, it's forever. It's like this. It can't get any. It can't get any bigger. The point being, is there's no relief. This is an emphasis, also given the scripture, to make clear to us there is no hope. There is absolutely no hope to get out of this karmic implication on our own strength. We have no strength. <laughs> what are we? We're relying on mind intellect senses all which are a product of our karma it's just like quicksand the more you move the more you go down you need a tarzan swinging on the rope and he says don't move i'll pull you up like that this is Bhakti the only movement is to hold on to the rope and when you hold on to the rope and tarzan pulls you up what do you think when you get out of the quicksand you don't think why i sure held on to that rope good didn't i <laughs> no you think you saved me you pulled me up. It's by Your grace, this all happened. This is the experience of progress. The experience of progress isn't that I really made a great effort. The experience of progress is I got some mercy. My mind stopped. name showed mercy to me in the kirtan. I was able to come out a little bit. They call it fired up or ecstatic or something. Then it goes back. Gradually, it goes away forever. It's suspended forever. It falls in love with Krishna. Anyway, the point being, the intricacies of karma are difficult to sort out all the details of that, because again, it's an adi. it's from time without beginning, it's an unlimited stockpile of karma. And it means you're going to be here for a long time, long time. And here Mahabharata's movement is coming from the other side, and in such an extraordinary way, Goloka, Premodhan, Haudenam, Sankirtan, from Goloka, highest place giving the wealth, the treasure of praying, through Nam, nam, meeting with Anadi Karma. It's a big uh, installment from the other side, from the world beyond karma. It has the power to free us from unlimited stockpile of karma. We don't need to sort all that out, neither is it possible. That's, you know, what's the guy's name? Chitra Gupta or something. writing it all down, they, they depict him like this, Yamaraj's assistant. Mm-hmm writing it down. Now he's probably got a computer by this time. (laughs) Big hard disk, and he's saving all the information. (laughs) The idea is that we blink, we think, we we move, we breathe, and so forth, and for all of this, we're dependent. We can't even breathe on our own. We're dependent for air to breathe, right? The whole feeling of material life is that we're independent. The reality is you couldn't be more incarcerated. (laughs) You couldn't be more locked up and confined in terms of what you are. The soul is locked up, asleep, buried, underground, practically. So to come out from there, big task, how will you do it? This is Mahaprabhu's advice. Just give up. Just throw your arms up like this. Hare Krishna. Depend on Krishna's coming down. That is Mercy, so take advantage of that. To sort all that out This is not possible. It's, nature's kind of recording it. In other words, there's somebody in control of it. There's something, air is not free. You can't see just because you have eyes. You require sun, right? So there's a relationship between your eyes and the sun in terms of your capacity to see. And so with all of our senses by which we be whatever we are and do whatever it is we do, that we think we do, that when we think we do our own thing, so to speak, we're ignoring the fact that in order to do what we think is our own thing, we're dependent upon so many other agencies. We're dependent upon nature. So to have some regard for nature and the rishis would see that nature is the force of this consciousness and they personified that force in their vision. So they have devas and Devas, gods and goddesses, and so forth. This is how they would describe the world. It's a poetic description of nature, and you wonder, is it real? Well, are there really demigods? Are there people up there in the clouds? The idea is that you have to consider when we look at it another way. Like if we take, for example, modern scientific way of looking at life. Doesn't find any demigods. But what is the motivation? What's in the heart of the viewer? Of the of the researcher. Maybe it's some, you know, at best, some desire to find objective truth and so forth. But for what? Just for its own sake? Only to the extent that one will be motivated by nothing other than that. And who's motivated by nothing other than that? Every scientist has a mouth to feed, at least his own. And what to speak of other desires, <laughs> naturally the force of this bodily karmic predicament. So, how unbiased can a person be? And the Rishi's looking at it in another way. He's looking at it without any view to exploit it, is the point. So it's going to show a different face. If you come at me to exploit me for your purpose, I'm going to react to you in a certain way. If you come at me with no desire to take anything from me, just to give, just to love, just to acknowledge me and so forth, then I'm going to respond in another way. I'm going to show you something else about myself. So it's fair game to consider in all this, with what motive people are researching the world. And if they come up with different visions, then understandably. So they would see like this. And of course, then they would try to describe it to those who were looking at the world in another way. In other words, when you get all the way up to Krishna, Radha and Krishna and so forth, and their vision, it's like trying to teach music to deaf people. That's what the Goswamis are trying to do. You know, we're deaf, but they're trying to teach us music. They're pretty good teachers. (laughs) They're they're successful to some extent. And, of course, we have to be willing. And, ultimately, they can be successful, but that's the task. So, their view, they see like this, gods, goddesses. And they're taking note of how we blink and how we think and uh, what we touch and how we feel and, and so forth. And... That's all this kind of the system, if you will, of, of material nature. I said God's not involved, and for the most part that's the case, but there are gods and goddesses, and nature is a manifestation of the divine. And so, indirectly, God's involved. Krishna's not like keeping score on a cloud or something like that. He has no time for that. No. He has his own problems. He suffered from child abuse. Mother Yasoda put him down during the Damodar Leela and uh, instead tended to the milk on the stove. He felt abused by that. <laughs> you yeah, know, you can forgive him for all of the things that he does and misbehavior and so forth. So there's a background to that. He became angry at Indra. He tried to sort it out. You caused my mother to abuse me because that happened during the Govardhan Leela. They were worshipping Govardhan Hill every year. And so no one was home, none of the nursemaids, just Mother Yashoda and then she's suckling uh, Yashoda, Yashodanandan Krishna, her bliss. And she had no milk maid servant to pass him to or to ask to tend to the milk, so she had to put him down and go to the milk which was boiling over on the stove. Special milk that had come from special grasses and special cows, because he had been wandering out, the rumor was, and going into the neighborhood. And the ladies would say he's coming to our house and steal milk and butter. And so Mother soda complained, You're the king of the cowherds. She complained in Annamaraj. But you cannot even produce milk that's sweet enough to keep our son at home. <laughs> he's going to other homes. <laughs> what kind of king are you? All right, all right, all right. And he said, So what did he do? He grew some special grass and brought in the best of the cows grazing on special grass to get, and that was the milk that she was boiling on the stove. So she didn't want to let it overflow. It's tadiya that's actually what is dear to Krishna. She went, chose to serve that which was dear to Krishna over serving Krishna, not an error on her part. Anyway, Krishna was affected by that. It affected his whole life. Imagine mother chasing you and tying you up and when the neighbors were looking over and then everyone came and so forth, and the Arjun trees fell, and Mother Yashoda was thinking, Oh my God, I did all of this. Of course, the really the motive behind, she started to chastise him, and then he started to run. And she was so charmed by him that, that she became persistent in trying to capture him, not to chastise him, but for fear that he'd run away. And she wouldn't have his company anymore, so she wanted to tie him. <laughs> keep him at home out of affection Krishna of course agreed to be tied up but when everybody came the trees had fallen they it kind of looked at what kind of mother is this what kind of mother is this she tied him up like this and, so, and the trees fell they could have fallen on him where was she this is bringing the you know a social worker this, this could be you know neglect <laughs> something like, like that <laughs> So it was a big event. And Nandamarsh came, and then uh, he said, well, you, you, you go to your mother. No, I don't want to go to her. No. Mother used he in her room crying and crying. He wouldn't even talk to Rohini. Nandamarsh had to go out, milk the cows himself, put a little sugar in the milk, warm it up, give it to Krishna and Balaram. He wasn't going to drink from her anymore. She tied me up. It's a traumatic event, right? In the life of uh, just a child. Oh then Rohini uh, finally convinced him, and he went, of course, and they made up, but still. He showed he wasn't over it. Later on, he got a little older, and that Indra Yogi was still going on, which is connected with the Govardhan Leila. So he questioned his father, What's this thing about, anyway? And I remember I, you know, I was younger, and all this was going on, and this happened to me, and so it's Indra's fault, he thought. <laughs> So he became upset with Indra. This way it's affected his whole life. And he acted in some strange ways that people have a hard time understanding. A little rebellious and so forth. Parents were a little shy. Mother was a little shy to chastise him and to correct him given that event. So he became a little bit, well, you know, misbehaved. This is our Krishna. <laughs> so <laughs> Anyway, we should behave ourselves and try to follow Krishna's devotees. This is the solution to all of our karmic problems. And it's vast. It's oceanic, the karmic predicament. And of course, Prabhupada tried to create a situation to give us the opportunity for that. And um, at the same time, it wasn't without problems. He couldn't charm everybody entirely at all times. And so, in that mission, I assume you're referring to another institution that had that problem. And they... Uh, it was an unfortunate set of events, but it's. I guess the point I'm making here is, it's better to dwell on the solution, to sort out the problem and who's to blame and so forth. It's difficult. And there's some blame, and you know there may be appropriate ways of dealing with it. Certainly not just say, well, it's kids' karma, so just that's it. That's not sufficient. But the real way, I mean, so somebody may be sent to jail, or they may send them for counseling, or whatever. Those are all ways of dealing with it. And um, the way in which you talked about is an appropriate way of dealing with it. Another way of dealing which might seem to you or others more appropriate, bringing them to jail, arresting the abusers and so forth, that may be appropriate too. That may be more appropriate. But the most appropriate thing, is bhakti, is to try to uh, continue to try to create what Prabhupada was trying to create. The work's not done. He left some things undone it's just kindness something for us to do in this regard to create an environment where people are inspired to participate in krishna consciousness this is the solution everybody's an abuser everybody's abused so short of that then we have to do so many things and and people nobody ever wants to forgive and you know it's it's a mess the real problem is Lack of Krishna consciousness and dynamic spiritual guidance and so forth. And then the thing just perpetuates. People can't forgive. People can't get over. People don't repent for what they did. The bad guys and ladies and... I know a little bit about this. I was never involved in any of that. Yeah, I was always selling books. <laughs> and um, I heard about it all afterwards. My only service was hearing and chanting the whole time I was in this Isco- much as distributing the book was chanting in a dynamic way, that's all I did. I chanted, and then when I wasn't selling the book, I was reading the book, either to myself or with others, and sharing my own thoughts and hearing their realizations. That was my whole life. And I have to say that that's the kind of life that Prabhupada wanted us all involved in, hearing and chanting. And he wanted his whole mission to be governed by two principles, which were love and trust. But, you know, there was a breakdown certain levels and so forth and that's also understandable and so on. but anyway the real solution is spiritual guidance spiritual inspiration to take up that means by which we can become free from being abusers ourselves and readily it is at hand this uh, Namsan Kirtan if we take that up under good guidance then we should make progress every day and if you're getting good some Bandha Gyan like Prabhupada was trying to arrange a book every day every, every month 400 pages it's a lot to read, think about, about four-armed people and ten-headed people. And it's like you kind of get taken out, out of your sensual uh, perspective. We want to pursue a life based on what our senses say is available. And the book says there's all these things available that are beyond your senses. So why not go beyond there? Who would read them, study them, would not have much time for getting distracted. And so this is the kind of environment he wanted to create, and he did to some extent, but we need more, like more books, more good spiritual guidance, hearing and chanting, inspiration, and, you know, there's no time for thinking about these things, right? If you have too much time on your hands, then a little theory of devotional service, that's not going to do you much good, To right? be busy scrubbing them and mopping them and hearing them and chanting them. <laughs> yes?
1: And to ask, you mentioned forgiveness.
0: Yeah, it's a big one.
1: If we have been like the victim of a monster, do we need to forgive that person in her heart? I was talking to a guy's sister recently and she was like, you don't need to forgive him. He's a monster. Krishna will take care of him. Because I was thinking that I need
0: to, I mean, on some level I know I forgive him. And I think, uh, yeah, on some level. I think that the principle is something like that. So I mentioned it before that um, this is what we teach in Gaudiya Vaishnavism that we should respect anybody who uh, chants Hare Krishna, for example. But a lot of people, we wouldn't want to be near them and they chant Hare Krishna. Right? So you have to create enough distance that you can have some respect. I mean, if it's too close, then you can't. You know, you get a distance from somebody who's really a pain or whatever, and then and you start feeling better about them. And now they're back in town, and you go and see them there. There it is again. Oh, God, i got to back up. So we have to arrange our life in such a way as to keep those who are really good for us close to us. We have to arrange our life to get that kind of company. That's one thing. And the other side is we have to arrange our life to keep far enough away from people who are not good for us or whatever, monsters, or whatever, from our perspective, and they may be objectively so. But still, they have some redeeming qualities, right? Rom was trying to build a staircase to heaven, or Robin, right? I guess he must have... he wanted to go to heaven. (laughs) yeah, Something like that. So, in that level, you can think about them if you have to, or if they come to mind in terms of some redeeming quality you got enough distance and time. Time, they say, heals all wounds and add a little distance to that, something like that. I think you have to... Uh, there are, you know, psychological issues, not entirely my field of expertise, but I think that the bigger picture is always helpful and that's what philosophy is. It's a bigger picture, right? It's always been, for me, the solution to the problem. Look at the bigger picture. Like I said, the other night I was mentioning I fell in love at eight years old and my mother showed me the bigger picture. It wasn't as big a picture as Prabhupada showed me, but it was a lot bigger (laughs) than the one I had. And so then I was relieved. I said, oh, okay, well, that's how it works. All right, so don't do that again. (laughs) So therefore, as I say, if we have good company and we're always hearing about Krishna consciousness, then it's kind of like you feel good about everything and you have the power, you have the spiritual strength and wholeness to be forgiving on some level and so forth. Yeah?
1: I just wanted to make a comment. That Here's I, an expert okay. in the field. That <laughs> <laughs> really forgiveness isn't for the other person, but it's,
0: yourself, it's for yourself. For uh, yourself.
1: Well, it's to do the forgiving work because it relieves you of having all that anger and resentment within your heart, which actually can be an obstacle to thought So for that reason, it's, it's really for yourself that you want.
0: Yeah, you know a lot about that too. You're an expert in that. Did you have a question? Yeah. I came up with the
1: impression that there was like a kind of Shantaras in Guloka.
0: Yeah, some kind. Abstract and uh, in the background, Bhakti Vinod Thakur says something like that. Because, what is the logic for that? Spiritual logic that uh, Krishna is Rasaraj, right? Where? Dwarka? He doesn't taste parakiya rasa in Dwarka, right? In Mathura? No. So if he's a rasa raj, then it means he's tasting all the rasas. So that's Krishna ultimately in Braj, right? And so he must taste Shantarasa. There's an example in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. When he's lifting Govardhan Hill, Krishna's rasa and Krishna's is rasika. So he also tastes rasa himself. An example in there's a nice verse. Krishna is holding Govardhan Hill and he's described there as how he's tasting all the different rasas. So I also tastes Shantaras. But it's in the background and um, it's not emphasized. In fact, it's played down. Mahaprabhu came to give four Dasya Sakya Vatsalya Madhurdya, which is the real makeup. Really, it's, it's three, three and a half. Because the Dasya there is touched by sakya. Therefore, we say that this sakya Pranay, this is really what Braj Bhakti is all about, and then intensification of that. When Prabhupada was asked by Vrishikeshananda that, oh, he had come back from Godiamath, and he was in Prabhupada's mission again, and he was talking about higher topics, and about Oh, that they say that but we know Kamal Manjari and Bhaktisiddhanta is Nayanamani Manjari and so forth. And he said, everybody in Madhya, everybody in Manjari Bhavi has Prabhupada. Prabhupada said, down to Sakya. From there, down to Sakya. One of his many comments along those lines. So, anyway, sakya Ras is, is really... The Dasya is imbued to some extent with Sakya there also. It's friendly dealings, it's intimacy. So that further qualifies the Dasya Bhakti. We were talking about the Dasya Bhakti of Vrindavan briefly last night, also, and how it's different from Vaikuntha. I didn't mention this point. This further um, distinguishes it from Vaikuntha. Shantaras is not very, um, it's not very much entertained by the Gaudiya people, but Bhakti Thakur does say it's in the background in some, some way. Krishna is Rasaraj there. So. What else? Another question? Yes. I have a question about chanting Japa. If you have
1: any hints for how to really control the mind here, she should have been here.
0: this. <laughs> did I talk about it?
1: Well, we did. When I asked you that question about mindfulness.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the best thing is to chant in the association of advanced devotees. They create a, Atmosphere around them by chanting. Like a that might be good. Yeah. Do you have that? I have a tape Yeah. Yeah. That'll be helpful. And you know, to do it like uh, you know, to chant for the sake of chanting, What will be helpful also is to hear about and think about all these the virtues of the chanting, the effects of the chanting. Can we
1: think about this? Yeah. You can do
0: that. That's called mononym It's called contemplation. It's kind of in between smarnam and kirtanam. Uh, So contemplate the meaning of the name, the significance of what you're doing or the significance of the mantra. That would be useful and it would help you to become absorbed. And in meditation, actually, in smarnam, then you won't be doing mananam, but you'll be meditating and knowing what can be known by the mantra without thinking about it. But... To the extent that we can't become absorbed in meditation then this contemplation as to the meaning will be helpful useful so you know you they might someone might for example be chanting japa and remembering verses that glorify the name and its effectiveness and so forth you have to sit and think there's nothing there's no way that i could be better spending my time right now i got a million things that i think would be better my time would be better spent in doing but it's not a fact it's not a fact it's not a fact that's that's like what do you call uh pratyahara or something you know like pushing the other thoughts out and harna, you know contemplating like i said uh, you can be thinking of like the huh? yeah yeah that kind of thing that will can be useful and then you can get absorbed some time and get a taste and then you don't have to think about anything. But to think that your time is being well spent like this. And you can think on two sides. That my predicament, my karmic predicament is oceanic, as we were saying. There's nothing I can do to overcome that. But inviting Krishna into my life and heart, then there could be no better means, no more comprehensive means. Just by the shadow of his name, This karmic implication can be done away with just by the shadow. So you think like that. And think, this is what's happening to me. Not only is that happening to me, is my implication in, in the karmic realm being eradicated. So much past karma that I might be due is being done away with. And it's again, limitless, right? So, practically. So, this is one thing. And also, I'm doing it in a way, in the context of developing love for Krishna. So there's the two sides. Getting rid of the negative and attaining the positive. So if you try to do like that that'll be useful. That'll be helpful. Another question? Yeah.
1: What is the best way to help a family member, like a child or a parent? Is it better just to keep praying for them or is there um one who doesn't
0: solution? One who doesn't understand yeah, one what you're who doing.
1: Doesn't accept want to be preached
0: to... Well, the best thing is not to preach to them. But there's two ways of preaching. By precept and by example. Which one is more powerful? Okay. Right. Example. Picture's worth a thousand words. Example is louder than precept. So, especially when you preach about things and you're not doing them, entirely. That may be the case also. People do that. So that's not going to be too compelling. Parents tell the kids to be, you know, you should do this. And they look at them and they see they're not doing it. So I would suggest that the best thing to do in a situation like that is to practice and that your example, if you're actually practicing, what's the point of preaching to them anyway? Preach to yourself and practice. And then if you're actually doing it, your example will be attractive. Then they'll want to know. But if you just try to tell them that you should do like this, because the book says like this, these are the laws, and, and so on. And, you know, they want to see that everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be Krishna conscious, actually. Everybody wants to be happy. So if you become happy by your practice, and it will become contagious. So that's the best thing you can do. And of course, as you endear yourself to Krishna, and Krishna's devotees, guru and so forth, someone who really has some standing in krishna consciousness then naturally those who think dearly of you krishna's attention will go to them naturally how do you get krishna's attention well what did prabhupada used to say well if you love me then he would say love my dog so if you love the the dog of krishna then krishna's attention goes to you probably used to say and i'm the dog of krishna so this is my collar This is his idea. Just an obedient dog. Come, go, man's best friends kind of thing. His point being that if someone dear to Krishna, if you become attached to that person, then Krishna's attention is going to go to you and to all the people who are attached to you. It's hard to get Krishna's attention directly. Does that help?
1: Yeah, my dad died a year ago. Yeah. And... um I'm still praying for him. I have a picture by Lord tiny week. Oh. So, does this still benefit him?
0: Sure. Sure.
1: How, how is that? Because? I mean, my family all believes that he went to heaven and he's already where he's going to be forever.
0: But you don't believe that no. because you're have a different well, he world view. be in
1: heaven but I don't know if he's going <laughs> right. to be there the rest of eternity.
0: As much as one is a devotee and one has well wishing towards another, that person will be benefited. It's just common sense. Like I said, if you like me, and I like you, then if somebody else doesn't like you, I don't like that person. And if somebody else, if I meet someone, they go, I know her, she's very, I go, oh I know her I too, then we have somebody in common, right? So that's how Krishna Consciousness works, just like that. If you like Krishna, and then somebody else likes you and you like that person then Krishna's going to like that person his attention is going to be drawn to that person that's the way in which Krishna's attention is drawn to someone through someone who's got Krishna's attention so, does that make sense to you? yeah, just kind of the logic of love is how it works that's why Krishna doesn't like some people (laughs) who are those people? people who don't like his devotees they might not like him still he likes them we were talking about the Putina, the example of Putina. She didn't like him. She tried to kill him, put poison on her breast and everything. Still, he liked her, right? He still made her a maidservant. Maid but those who don't like his devotees, then... That's why he say, he told Duryodhana he wasn't interested in him. When he was invited to Hastinapur for a big feast and Duryodhana wanted his patronage, he ignored all the pomp and arrangements and went to the house of Vidura there. And I asked his wife for some food, and she gave him bananas. And of she was peeling the bananas and throwing away the bananas and giving him the peel in her ecstasy that Krishna's in my house and he wants to eat. Krishna was eating the peels. But later on, then, it was asked why he didn't go to Duryodhana's house when Duryodhana had made this arrangement. And he, instead, you he eating banana peels, and he made a royal feast. He said, Oh, you know, he doesn't like my devotees. The Pandavas. I have no time for him. I'm not interested in him. <laughs> What else? Why does Balra like Triod? Oh, well. (laughs) He kind of likes him. (laughs) But he didn't like him enough to fight alongside with him. He learned something from him or something, maybe. He didn't like him enough to fight alongside. He left. Yes.
1: I was just reading an, um, an book, a new book
0: that's also excuse me but that's also why we say that whoever wanted love of God Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave it to him whoever asked whoever refused it Nityananda Prabhu gave it to him so Ram is the extension of Krishna Nitananda is the extension of Mahaprabhu so even if Mahaprabhu doesn't like them Nityananda Prabhu goes after them <laughs> because he likes Mahaprabhu so much the Ram likes Krishna so much that he wants everyone to like Krishna something like that yeah
1: I was just reading in a new in book that we got mentioned the author <laughs> so don't prejudice the answer so um, anyway he was talking about that when Krishna had left in the Rasa dance and they were pretending that they were demons so the Yogamaya had created gopis they were gopis to play the part of demons but they were like a temporary form that with us just for that pastime, and then she withdrew them. Did you ever hear
0: that? Uh, no, I haven't heard that.
1: Anyway, I was just curious because he was talking about a number of instances where Yoga Maya may kind of make characters appear and go cool, or go look up, even, or just a temporary, like even the demons and go, go, go look I think he was saying. That it's.
0: Anyway, it's all bhava, all possibilities. Yeah, all possibilities. In
1: I guess, bhava. I just never heard that before. You.
0: How much have heard? Yeah, right. I've heard quite a bit, yeah, I but know, I haven't heard. I and not in the commentaries. I don't remember reading that in the commentary of Vishvanatha or Sanatana Goswami, Jiva Goswami. I'll have to see where is. I mean,
1: it's
0: the What they did was they reenacted the Leelas. They were reenacting the leelas in their madness, remembering him. And so one gopi would take the part of a Turnavarta and one would play the part of Putana and so forth. So if he's saying that the figures actually manifest, it's that that they could play them that well as possible. A gopi could play the role of Putana well enough that (laughs) she might take on the appearance or something. I, I suppose that's what he's saying, something like that possible. What else? Yes? This goes back to the discussion last night where Subal was asking about what I heard him was he was saying that when I don't follow the rules I still start feeling disconnected. Or When I follow him, I feel better. He said, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And um, what I wanted clarification on is you you were going
0: to the mood of Vrindavan like, you know, like rules forget it. It's not the way that develop love. So what I was going to was, well, in one sense, it, like the rules, at least the rules that we get from you know our spiritual master, because actually our whole goal is just to please Krishna. Yeah, well that's the point. Yeah. The point is the emphasis, not that we shouldn't follow rules, we should, but the emphasis is why if we just follow rules for the sake of following rules it becomes problematic but if we follow rules because they will for example they will if we posture ourselves in such a way which is a way of talking about following rules they'll foster love of Krishna then we should do them so sometimes the emphasis becomes inordinate because Krishna is like this and this is why it would please Krishna and so on and so forth we do it the more you hear about Krishna the more you'll be inspired to act in such a way that would foster love for him. But if the emphasis is just follow rules, and that side is kind of like eclipsed, becomes this rule-following thing, and then you get all this, and then there are problems. And there are, there are problems in following the rules sometimes, because people can't always follow them. And so when the emphasis is rule, uh, like, heavy, then what happens is sometimes people don't follow, they can't follow, or all of them don't follow, but some of them are pretending to follow, most of them. And then somebody's found out that they're not following, and then everybody else who's pretending to follow criticizes him or her for not following, and then the guy doesn't want to come around to the association of devotees. And so the emphasis is on the rules in an inordinate way, and and the points being lost here, And, and the compassion and the generosity that the reality of Krishna and Mahaprabhu are, like, absent. So we should follow rules, but the impetus to do so should be some like, you know, let's face it, why did you follow the rules because you loved Prabhupada, and he told you to do it, so he just wanted, wanted it wasn't like you know you, you, necessary... i mean it makes some sense when you talk about rules like don't take intoxication I mean that's like a no brainer you know of course it wasn't in the time when we were living, but <laughs> it was <laughs> you had to think about that why not but uh you know in in general, like I remember I was on my way to Jamaica to live forever in the jungle was. Where I was headed, and I stopped in Coconut Grove <laughs> on New Year's Eve at a crash pad, and the people were nice enough to let me stay there, so I thought, so I went out and begged some vegetables that morning, and I cooked a vegetable stew for the group, you know, who was holding the house, who had the house. And I went through all this effort, you know, just to please them. I didn't have to, they didn't mind me st- staying there. It was a crash pad, as it used to be called those kind of places and so and then and I said you know I've cooked this vegetable stew and they all said well we only eat raw food
1: <laughs> <laughs> were,
0: okay you know and they were sitting around it was New Year's Eve and they were all like another year has gone by and we haven't become enlightened that's what they were thinking I thought man these people and I was interested in spiritual life you know and I thought these people are like dry this is too much and I saw this book on the shelf K-R-S-N-A Krishna right the big Krishna book and I said oh well you know where did you get that because I had been chanting in my head Hare Krishna I saw it on a pack of incense I hadn't read a book or anything like that so I was chanting and I thought that sounds better to me than what these people are doing just sitting here another year and they said to me yeah that's what you need that's what you need <laughs> Give him that Krishna book. That, that's for this guy, you know.
1: That's what they told me.
0: <laughs> and they told me there's a Krishna temple. I said, okay, well, I'll see you later, you know. And I went to the temple. It was New Year's Eve, and uh, uh, what's his name? Fellow died. I forget his name. Was, yeah, he was the president of the temple. Nice man. Yeah. Anyway, he was giving a class, and he was talking about Prabhupada. I came at the end of the Bhagavad Gita class. He was talking about, he had just been in Los Angeles, and he was talking about making a garland for Prabhupada, and giving it to him, walking on the beach. And then he was just talking about Prabhupada. He was, it was real charming. I thought, that's what I want. That kind of thing. And so then he said, end of the class. And so, anyway, you know, if you just bow down your head and pray to Krishna, please come into my life, you know. And he will, you know, so right, that's I'm doing. <laughs> And then, um, <laughs> anyway, that was, uh, was in Coconut Grove. What was the point we were making? session. Uh, yeah, so, then the next morning, it was time for a shower, you know, they wake you up. We, we were sleeping in tents in the backyard of this place in Coconut Grove. So, they came and woke everybody up, and, um, and there was another devotee, what's his name? His wife's name is Manjari. Naviobin. Naviobin. I'm mean, going there, and he says to me, well, we take a cold shower. I said, oh, okay, how come? He says, well, what Prabhupada said.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, and I had long hair, and, and he said, that's why we shave our head, too, as Prabhupada said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was inspired, I thought, well, these people really love this guy, Prabhupada. This is cool. You know? <laughs> it's good enough for me. I took a cold shower, and I was, you know, all for it. And there was these posters around the time of that guy, um, I am Ram, I am Krishna, Maribaba, you know, with long hair and a beard. I am Ram, I am Krishna. I didn't like him, but I liked Prabhupada, you know, and the shaved head idea. And I just thought, these people are serious, you know, why aren't they shave their head? That was a, you know, a real statement <laughs> at the time. So, anyway, the point being was that I was ready to follow the rules because Prabhupada said to do it, you know. <laughs> And Prabhupada was charming and compelling and that was, was enough. I didn't need a lot of logic and reasoning. So similarly, you know, <coughs> Krishna is charming and <coughs> wonderful and you do it like this, pleases Krishna, so we do it. So that emphasis has to be there. When that emphasis is taken out, that's the heart of the whole thing. And it's just, you follow the rules and then sometimes people can't follow them, a lot of times. And then it becomes, you know, they're afraid to talk about it because then they may be ostracized and and they can't it it becomes a problem it gets out of balance I don't mean to say that we shouldn't follow the rules but if our emphasis and focus is on how charming Krishna is how kind he is how merciful he is that even if you can't follow the rules he doesn't kick you out he doesn't say don't come to the temple (laughs) he's bad he doesn't say that in the Bhagavatam he says "Eh, sometimes my devotees can't follow the rules he says they have material desires and they get in the way but because they're sincere, they, they feel some remorse and they carry on, and that remorse corrects them. Now, you tell it to the local guy, you know, I'm remorseful, I'm redeemed. No, you know, you've got a black mark on you. It's kind of like when I was a kid we were Catholics, and they used to tell us about mortal and venial sins, and I used to visualize it like the mortal sins, like the, the soul becomes, a venial sin, it kind of gets tinted. You know, I have this picture, This there's this bright thing here around the heart region that's the soul. And it gets tinted, you know, like, gets dimmed a little bit by a venial sin, but a, by a, a mortal sin is like a black hole on the sun of your soul. It's like, it sticks out forever. You know? I don't want one of those. You know? <laughs> I'll be a marked, you know, soul and then never get into heaven. <laughs> so the emphasis sometimes gets like that, and, and, and it, it causes people to be a little neurotic, and they feel... They can't be in the association of devotees because they don't. They can't follow. So the emphasis: why to follow is to present how charming Krishna is, how compassionate Krishna is, how generous he is. Then you feel embarrassed. I should follow. He's so, you know, he's so nice. If he just kicks me out, I think, why? Not, anyway, why did I want? What kind of guy is that? You know. So I fell down. You know, and he's going to kick me out forever. You know, what kind of person is he? if he won't he lets me back in then I I think yeah I, I should want to please this person so the basis is attraction to Krishna this is what we should foster following rules that comes to serve that that comes in the wake of that not that rules first and then you might get Krishna first follow all these rules then chant no first chant right that's what we tell people we don't go out and tell people okay do this do that well some people do don't do this no. no. we encourage them to hear about Krishna how charming Krishna is and then they get inside and we tell them all these rules and they say don't talk about Krishna it's too high don't talk about Krishna are you following? it's like all of a sudden the whole thing shifts and wait a minute so that's what I meant does that help? we should follow yeah we should follow the rules that would be good for us yeah
2: I was wondering if... What's your uh, name? Kanada does. Yeah. I was wondering if spiritual life is a uh, very personal affair at earning attention of Krishna by uh, serving devotees, getting their uh, affection for oneself like that. Is there all a place for such a thing, a spiritual institution? How is it, How does it fit? You can't force people to love each other. You can put it on paper and uh, make it work just by... Uh, formalizing
0: it. You can't, right. So what
2: uh, is it worth
0: the Well, that's always an ongoing question. Without institutionalizing the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, it wouldn't be made available readily to people. So the Goswamis, they sought to institutionalize the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in, in a soft form, so to speak, by writing books explaining what that ecstasy was, which is a way of institutionalizing it, making it accessible, describing it, saying what it is, and, and it's in this book and so forth. It's not the whole thing, but it made Mahabhiva accessible. Then a further form of institutionalizing would be to form an institution, like Bhaktivinoda Thakur envisioned something like that, and Bhakti Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur gave shape to it in the form of Gaudiya Math. But the great founder of Gaudiya Math also said that uh, he also readily understood the shortcomings of institutionalizing and what can be the downside of it there's a point in time where it was useful there may be a point in time where it's not useful we have to be prepared for that and be dynamic in our thinking and um, you know like talk about spreading of Krishna consciousness personally I don't think that people are too interested in joining an institution an institutionalized religion has you know it's got a bad name for itself so to make people a card-carrying member of a particular group may not be as thoughtful of an approach to bringing the people to Krishna consciousness as presenting Krishna consciousness as a way of thinking about life, and which will naturally foster associating with like-minded people. That's obviously less of an institutionalized, by far, approach that fosters uh, personal relationships and, and so on you take ISKCON you know, it's a big institution I mean, it's not to be all and end all of how Krishna consciousness is to be spread Prabhupada never thought that Chitin Marsh wrote me a letter once we used to publish a magazine years ago when I left ISKCON called Clarion Call and um, Chitin Anamars wrote me a letter once in the very big early days of that and he said a good magazine I like it it's Krishna conscious with a little bit of I forget what he said with a little bit of salt or something like that you know it's like a little bit of spice a little bit of chili to it I like that he said and then he told me he wrote there he said that I was there when Prabhupada signed the corporate papers that were the official formation of the corporation ISKCON and at the time this was in New York he said so now we are forming this institution but if it should get in the way of spreading Krishna consciousness then we will leave it and go and form another one or do something else so he wrote that to me because he knew I was outside of ISKCON and so on. He was being sympathetic, but sharing an antidote with me. So that's the spirit of it. And Prabhupada wanted to spread to Krishna consciousness. How? By hook or by crook? That's what he told me. Sell the book. If it works like this, fine. And it's possible it, later on it might not work like this that well. After all, times change. So you're just going to repeat the same thing over and over. And that's not what he did. So there's scope for not promoting I mean, It's an institution, perhaps, and being a member of that. And what and, and to speak of thinking that promoting the idea that just by being a member, you're guaranteed to, you know, by, by joining a group, you're guaranteed to go back to Godhead or something. It's just rather, like, it does get rather depersonalized. Of course, I don't have the power to form an institution, so I can, you know... <laughs> I could say that uh, institutions aren't that good, but no, I, I have a little power, but I think that um, it may be an example of an excess to a point, to help. Some institution is a tool. Yeah, it's just a tool. If it works, then you use it. If it's not, you put down that tool, you, you create another tool. That's all. It's not the be-all and end-all or everything. It's not the formula. You do it exactly like this, and this is now set for, you know, the is cast for 10,000 years wake up at this time, you go to bed at that time, you say the class exactly like this, and if you don't, there's some problem. I mean, that's not... Probably didn't even do that in his own... We did that. He didn't do that. When he went to different places, I used to talk to Trey Rishi, he was a friend of mine, and probably used to go to Iran. They didn't have a big temple there and a whole morning program. Everything was very different. They couldn't have it, given the circumstances and so forth. They had a very different kind of program. And when Prabhupada would go there, it would be he didn't you know, go on the morning walk and come back, and there's the Arctic. And, uh, these things are all relative. They may work to a point. They may be counterproductive. Better to mix things up. To be honest with you, the dynamism of Prabhupada's mission was that he had us ready to stand up, sit down, turn left, turn right at any moment. If Prabhupada said, okay, you sold enough books, now burn all the books, we would have burned all the books without even asking why. That's the kind of position we should be in. So flexible, my point being, right? The student should be flexible. The Guru should create an environment in which makes the student flexible. Then he'll be fixed in bhakti. When it becomes inflexible, what does he understand about Krishna consciousness? Krishna's dancing. He's not standing still. He's dancing. You have to be flexible. <laughs> right? He may say, I'm over here now, I'm over there, now you have to go over. You can't say, I ran over here, you said you were there, now you're over there. No complaint, you go over there. That's how it works. Rules are also, you know, when we talk about institution and they're rules of the institution, they may have something to do with Krishna consciousness, they may not. Depends how dynamic the institution is, whether every detail will be such that it fosters Christian consciousness. That's the idea behind it, and that's what you want to create, but it may not always be the case. So you all have to go back to Godhead, and you're going to have to use your intelligence to do that. And you're going to have to understand look, the gopis left that's the whole teaching leave the institution. I hate to say it. That's what they did, they left the institution of marriage. That's the teaching. <laughs> Not join the institution, yes ma'am? Well, correction?
2: No correction, I'm just wanting to share that it seems that we have our own internal purification and realization and connection and sadhana that we're doing to go to Krishna, and at the same time we're also aware that there's the masses of living entities, and Lord Chaitanya and Srila Prabhupada had a desire, and although it is an austerity, you know, times to work within an institution that by trying to work together within that institution for the benefit of other living entities, keeping the balance of our own sadhana, our own spiritual life, our own realizations, it seems that that's very important that at the same time, out of, you know and not at rules and regulation, but out of love you know, like if we feel, I love Prabhupada and Papa created this situation, although it's very difficult, but still in some way we try, somehow or other, let me, without sacrificing my own mental well-being, let me somehow or other... Or spiritual well-being. Yes, let me somehow or other...
0: But that's the well-being. issue. I agree with you. I agree with you. But if it comes to pass, comes to bear, that doing that is at the cost of your own spiritual growth, which might be the case in some instances then obviously, so you're talking about two things, an absolute and a relative, right. right? The absolute is you go back to Godhead. That's the absolute. The relative is bring everybody else along as, as much as possible. So well, the question is that if in the name of the relative, the absolute is being compromised, then what will you do? You obviously have to leave the relative aside, which might be in this instance, as you're saying, an effort to help all souls become Krishna conscious. If it's at the cost of your own Krishna consciousness, then you have to leave that, in this example, institution that's getting in the way of, of you're doing that because the absolute is more important, right? So that may come to pass for some people.
2: I think everyone has to make their own choice, you know, if what's going to work for them spiritually because you have to have your own personal integrity. And then at the same time, I think it's always a struggle not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, to somehow other also try to well, yeah, set the example, like maybe we don't like a particular situation, but maybe I can be a different example, or maybe I can...
0: Well, just like it, me, I'm trying to be an example.
2: Yeah, you know, somehow how to be that example. For Prabhupada
0: people. always taught me that, well, if you don't like the way they're doing it, show a better way. I you know, I'm not very good at it, but i try to show a better way. We want a group, certainly. We want to all, all on to work together and cooperate and you can call it whatever you like, but anyway, my particular contribution to that institution of Wisconsin wasn't welcome. What I really felt would make it better and dynamic, you know, I wasn't allowed to share that so, you know, then what do you do in that situation? So well, you have to try to do it in do. Yeah, yeah, I'm i st- I'm still trying. Anyway, regardless, it is a fact that as much as institutions can help the fostering and spreading of Christian consciousness, they can also get in the way. It's, it's possible. And everyone has to decide whether that's happening for themselves or at large or to what extent and, and move accordingly. And then we should be generous with the decisions that people make and let time tell. And we should be interested enough in what you're talking about to see that if it's working better somewhere else, then... To acknowledge it and then adjust accordingly if it was something we don't, we don't agree with that we don't think that will work we don't think that's in the interest it may be in your interest of your spiritual progress personally but it, we don't think it's in the interest of the overall and we think we can do both here but if it comes to pass that we find someone sets a better example and surprises us then we have to be open enough and willing enough and humble enough and interested enough in making it work that we're ready to change our, you know, but wow, okay. <laughs> Scratch our head and think maybe, maybe that lady had it right or something There's like that.
2: Many devotees, like in Iskan and because like when people had an idea of ISKCON at one time, they thought sort of ISKCON as is just being the temple, who lived in the temple. Now ISKCON is like whole communities of people that you find sometimes that, you know, maybe two or three people living somewhere that nobody knows about, but they still consider themselves followers of Prabhupada, and it seems that many people are also, you know, sometimes you step back and you look at, like sociologically, what happened, like Prabhupada came, he Mm -hmm. transplanted an ancient tradition, who were the people that came forward, what happened after Prabhupada left, so to me it seems that it's important to be like spiritual social scientists and really look at things and then try to, um be uh, introspective and creative and, and at the same time I guess I think that thing is also being positive too like going forward and seeing that there's the external structure of what is the internal structure and what is this kind of what right. you know, and what does it really mean to be a member of this kind of what does it mean to please Prabhupada I, mean, I don't have any answers but just you made certain statements and then I felt like somehow or other I felt inclined
0: to speak. Yeah, well, my only statement is that institutions may work or may not work right, to one right. extent or another. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think it's good. As far as you're bringing up a specific mm. instance and specific institution, of course, mm-hmm. that's being alluded to, obviously, anyway. But, yeah, I think that it would be really good that the more the members are introspective and they think, what does it really mean to please Prabhupada? And that's what Iskon is. Prabhupada Toshanam, <laughs> the pleasure of Prabhupada. And there may be ways of doing it that you hadn't thought of, that other people are doing, and, that, and then you expand the idea of Iskon, and, and maybe that makes it better than than what it what it is. I appreciate your comments. Yes. I was saying for a
1: while this is what ISKCON yeah. kind of looks like too. You know, and whoever
0: I am and the people that I'm with.
1: And yeah. Hurry. Who says that someone could take it away? I mean this is Prabhupada extended you said Prabhupada extended but mm-hmm. let us meditate on that and manifest that in some of it might get sloppy for a while and whatever,
0: but it goes with us. Yeah. Good people like you should speak up. So we should stop there. Thank you very much all of you for your questions and and time. Shu
1: Prabhupada Kinjay.